He is risen. risen. Happy Easter, everybody. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. It's from Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. In returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. There we go. All right, there we go. All right, now I think my microphone's on, so that helps a little bit too. Fantastic. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to take a break just for this week from the book of Mark and look uh, in honor of Resurrection Sunday to Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. That's Chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. See, today we come and we experience and talk about Resurrection Sunday. What it means that Jesus has risen from the grave. Christians, for thousands of years, have believed, continue to believe, and live in light of that truth. We believe that Jesus came and lived a perfect life, that he was tempted in every way yet without sin. He then died an unjust death on the cross for sinners like you and me, because when he was there and on that cross, the wrath of God was poured out on him instead of being poured out on us, and by his wounds, we are healed. And so by that truth and that reality, if it just stopped there, the Payment for sin would be paid, but there would be no life, no hope, because there would be no resurrection. But the good news of the gospel is that he did not stay in the grave, but that three days later he rose again. That he died on a Friday, day one, rested on the Sabbath on a Saturday. And rose again to conquer sin and death. And that's what I want us to look at as we look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, because that doesn't just a story that we believe or say we believe or pay some kind of lip service to, but it actually impacts and changes everyday life. You see, as your pastor and as somebody who loves you, and I do love you, I love each and every one of you that God has given me to care for and to shepherd. And I pray for you. And like others in my life that I love, I have hopes and I have desires for you. I hope and I pray that you live 
the good life. I want you to live a really good and happy life. But I want you to live a good and happy life in the way that God defines that. Not how this world tells you where happiness is found, but where the Lord tells you happiness is found and goodness is found. And in this paragraph that we'll look at today, Paul will say in verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I pray that you live in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we've got to ask the question, how do I do that? How do I live according to that kind of resurrecting power? And that's what we want to look like. Look at this morning. Does the resurrection matter for Monday through Saturday? Does it change your life? And I believe it does, but it requires a belief. It requires the belief that Jesus surpasses all other things, that he is better than everything else. It requires a belief that you're found in him, not because you've worked really hard or because you're a good person or because you've adhered to some kind of moral code or some kind of law, but because Jesus has done it for you. And that by faith in him and in him alone, you are now found and wrapped in his righteousness and not your own righteousness. And it requires a belief that now you belong to him. And even though you're not yet finished and this work isn't done in you and you still mess up and you still suffer and you still feel pain, Jesus is saying, you belong to me and you should press on and keep walking in resurrection power even when things aren't going your way because you are not your own, but you belong to him, body and soul. And that is good and great news. And that's what we want to see is do we believe those things, that Christ surpasses all things, that we are found in him and that we belong to him alone. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of the resurrection is that those things are true. So with that, let's look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Paul writes this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in every heart in this room, you would make this passage ring true. That we would see that you are better than anything this life has to offer. And that when we place our faith in you, we are found in you and we belong to you. And that is wonderful, great news. Change us from this passage and help us see what it means to live in light of the resurrection. Changed and different. The old self gone, but the new self raised up to walk in newness of life. To follow Jesus. And even when we fail, that we might press on to the upward call of God.
ask this in your name. Well, we look at this passage and we take a look. And the first thing is this. We must believe that Christ surpasses all things. And we find that in those first two verses there in Philippians 3, 7 through 8, that Jesus surpasses all things. It says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul is saying in this passage that his old gains of his old life before he came to know Jesus, he's saying those old gains I count as loss. In the verses before this passage, he explains what that means. See, he was a a Jewish man, and he had everything that a Jewish man would want. He was a Hebrew among Hebrews, is what he calls himself in the verses before. He was a Pharisee. He had zeal, and, and and he lived up to the law in a way that people would look at him, and they would say, that guy has got it all. He had power. He had prestige. He had position. People listened to him when he talked. He mattered in his culture and in his world and in his society. All that he was working for, he had obtained. And yet he looks at that and when he meets Jesus, he says, that is nothing. That is lost compared to what I have found. In the book of Acts, we are told that Paul is on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, to live out that life that he was living. And Jesus shows up and appears to him. And he says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul is, is amazed by this. And he's blinded for three days. And God meets with him there. And he meets with another man named Ananias. And Ananias comes and explains the gospel even further to Paul. And Paul repents of his sins and becomes a Christian. And he becomes an apostle to the Gentiles, meaning he's going to go out and reach people who aren't Jews. This Pharisee who hates people who aren't like him who sees Gentiles as being unclean, is totally changed, and he goes and he suffers for their sake. And Paul is writing, he's saying, all that I had as gain, I was the guy arresting people, he writes this from a prison cell. He's lost everything. He goes from a man of power, prestige, honor, to being treated like a criminal in a prison cell. And when he is writing about his experience of coming to know Jesus, he says, all that I had was gain, I now count as loss. He's saying it is better to be in prison with Christ than to be ruling and reigning in this world according to my own ability and power. He's saying all of that, it's all those gains, I'm counting them as a loss. Because whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Jesus is worth it. He surpasses everything. He's willing to suffer for Jesus and count everything else as rubbish so that he might have Christ. If you want to live in the power of the resurrection, you've got to believe that about your life too. You've got to believe that everything this world has to offer is loss compared to knowing Jesus. In a lot of ways, Paul is that guy on Facebook and Instagram that you're really jealous of. You know, somehow they're like not even 30, but they can afford a house that has like seven bathrooms. And the master bathroom is bigger than your bedroom. 
and they're posting pictures about it, and everything's wonderful. Their kids are always happy, and everything's great. You know, they use the great filter, so it looks like everybody has a tan all the time. He never skips leg day, and even though he has four kids, he can work out and even does squats. It's like he's just amazing. Everything about him is perfect and great. And you look at that guy and you're scrolling through and you're just like, oh, that's what I want. Why can't my life be like that? He's got the great job. He's got great things. And, and you look at that and, and this world tells us, man, if I could just know the surpassing worth of oak milk lattes. First of all, oats don't even make milk. I don't even know what that's about. But that's what we are, right? That's the world we live in. That's what we're being told. That's the dream. That's the surpassing worth. And maybe that's not your life, and you giggle at that, because the reality is, is you just think, man, if I could just know the surpassing worth of home ownership, if I could just get a little further, what if I could just know the surpassing worth of financial security? What if I just didn't have to worry about my bills anymore? The surpassing worth of just a better marriage, or the surpassing worth of just having a kid listen to me without having to say the same thing 15 times in a row. Stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that. I just stop doing that, right? If I could just know that surpassing worth, then I would be happy. Then it would be good. That's the surpassing worth of all things. But when you ask Paul about that, somebody who obtained everything and then lost everything for Jesus, he says, that's rubbish. It's garbage. It doesn't matter compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That's the good life. The good life is knowing that Jesus is better than everything and that we might share in his sufferings. That's the good life. The good life is sitting in a prison cell and writing about how much he has changed you. That's what Paul is telling us. It's amazing. That's how good this gospel is. In verse 18 and 19, he describes people who don't get that. He describes those who don't understand what the good life truly is, knowing Jesus. And this is what he says. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. He has tears because he pities them. He loves these people, but they don't have Jesus. And this is what he says. As enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with mindsets on what? Earthly things. He knows what the end is for them. It's destruction. It's hell. It's a death that never ends. It's not the resurrection power of Jesus. Their God is not the true God of the universe. Their God is their belly. That's another way of saying their appetites, their desires, their longings, their wants. Everybody worships something, even if it's yourself. Even if it's worldly and earthly pleasure. They're straining after those things and that's their God and they're worshiping at a false altar and their glory and they glory in their shame. What he's saying is their evil deeds that they're doing, they're looking at them and saying, look at us. Look how great we are. Check out my Instagram feed and all the things that I've obtained. See, their God is their belly, their glory is shame and where's their mindset? On earthly things. I want to say this with a lot of mercy because I'm there right with you in this life. I wish my kids would listen a little better. I wish I had a house. I wish I get it. But if you make that the goal, if you make that the desire, if you believe that's the worth that surpasses all things, you cannot live according to the resurrection power of God. You'll always be searching for more. You'll always come up empty. It will never be enough. 
Because here's the thing about the Instagram, Facebook, social media life. It's a lie. It's a lie. Nobody lives that way. Think about it. We filter our own kids on these platforms. Our own kids are somehow not cute enough. That's crazy. You know why? It's a lie. This world is selling you a bill of goods, and it's not true. It will never make you happy. You will not live the good life striving after these things. The good life is found in Jesus because his worth and his value surpasses everything. Surpasses everything. Today, instead of application points, we're going to have reflection questions, and we're going to use that to reflect at our time at the end. So the first one of those reflection is this. What do you see as having surpassing worth in your life? In community group, you're going to talk about what are the things that compete with Jesus to have surpassing worth in your life? Is it making rent? Is it just getting out of debt? Is it all these things that are good things that we long to do, but they just can't be ultimate? Jesus has to sit on the throne if you want to live the life according to his resurrection power. Because the reality is, is it's already true. He is better than all those things. He is more valuable than everything else. And that's why it's faith in him alone that we can find righteousness in and not ourselves. So we'll look to our second point this morning, which is this, believe you are found in Christ. Verse 9. I'm going to back up just a little bit to verse 8 and pick up the very back tail end of that. It says, In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Like I said before, so Paul was a Pharisee. He's a rule keeper. He was doing these things right. He, he, he would have looked at anything. He's a good guy. He kept the moral code that you're supposed to keep. And what he realized is that he would never be good enough for a holy God. That no matter if he obeyed every Old Testament law that there might be, he could never be good enough to stand in the presence of a holy God. And what he then saw and what he learned when he met Jesus is he saw the glory of Jesus. He realized that he didn't stack up and he didn't compare. That his own life and living according to his own self-dependence was never going to get him there. And that's what our lives look like, right? We want to live. I want to make my own way. I want to do my own thing. I want to be dependent on myself. And what the Bible calls us to do is be dependent upon the Lord. And so Paul realizes that he can't measure up to God's standard, but he can only belong to Christ. He can only be in the presence of God and obtain the resurrection from the dead if he puts his faith in Jesus and Jesus alone because it's Jesus who lives the perfect life and it's Jesus who dies on our behalf and it's Jesus who conquers sin and death when he raises from the grave. With no Jesus, we cannot please God. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that it is impossible to please God without faith. It's, it's right now, it's the, the season of Ramadan for, for, for our Muslim friends. And they believe that they have to please God. And I read this thing the other day that even Muhammad did not know if he would make it into paradise. He was unsure if he was good enough. And that's why Muslims, when they pray, they may say, may peace be upon him. Because they're still praying that even Muhammad might be good enough. I remember telling Judah, yeah, so that God will love them this month, they will not eat or drink while the sun is up. And he was like, why? He said, but Judah, the Bible tells us that it is impossible to please God 
apart from faith. Refusing food and drink, some kind of ascetic thing, hurting yourself for the sake of of being holy, whatever it is, even the moral code, it's not going to get you there. It won't have any assurance. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And it's faith in Jesus. Because Paul makes it so clear that he's so thankful that he's not have a righteousness that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Because in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we are told, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Meaning Jesus, who had never sinned, went to the cross and he took on our sin so that in him, in Christ, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. You want to be righteous? You want to stand before God? You have to be clothed in Jesus and his righteousness. And the only way we can do that is through faith and repentance in Christ alone. Faith enables us to be a part of Jesus. And then we are found in him and being found in him, we are wrapped in his righteousness rather than our own. And when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus and not your own sin and flaws. So we must run to Jesus. And that's how we obtain relationship with Jesus, is by faith. But what does that have to do about living life? Well, Paul says this in Galatians 2, 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, when you become a Christian and you put your faith in Jesus, the old you passes away. It is crucified with Christ. The old you dies, and a new you is resurrected. That there is an aspect of resurrection that happens in the here and now in this part of life. You change. You become a new person when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And when you start to live according to your own works, in your own way, instead of by living by faith and dependence on God, You cannot live according to the power of the resurrection because the power of the resurrection is found by faith. It's acknowledging I can't be good enough on my own. I have to live according by faith in Jesus. What I'm trying to say is this, is your old self is incompatible with the new self. You can't live with both. You can't have both feet in the same world. The old self is incompatible with the new self. It's like trying to stream Netflix on your VCR. It's never gonna work. Lo and behold, new things have come in the age of streaming. The old has passed away. It's not going to work. Your TV doesn't even have an RCA cable anymore, for crying out loud. Like, you're, it's, not gonna, it's not compatible. And what we do as Christians is so many times, even for those of us who've placed our faith and trust in Jesus, we allow things to creep into our lives. We start to live according to our own power and our own strength and our own self-dependence rather than relying on Jesus. And the next thing we know, we're like, why am I despairing? Why am I so downcast? What is going on? You're living according to your own power. You start to think, I've got this. I've got it under my control. And then you realize very quickly just how out of control everything really is, right? And we get to a place where we're despairing and we're unhopeful and it's, life is a drudgery and it's difficult and we don't seem to be living like verse 10, that we know him in the power of his resurrection. And what I want to suggest is that you have to remember that the old self and the new self are incompatible. 
that by repentance and faith, we get to, again, go back to that resurrection power by saying, Jesus, my ways aren't good enough. I can't live according to my own strength and my own power. I need to live by yours. So the reflection question here is we want to see is, are you trying to earn God's love? An example that I would give in this is, right, Christians might think, oh, I didn't, you know, read my Bible today, or I didn't pray enough today, or I got mad at my kids again, or I got, now God doesn't love me anymore. Here's the wonderful news. Yeah, he does. He loves you so much. He cannot love you any less, and he cannot love you any more than he does right now. He loves you to his full extent and capacity right now in Christ. For those who have repented of sin and turned to Jesus and placed their faith in Christ alone, he loves you. You don't have to earn his love. You can't. And do you accept by faith that Jesus' work is enough? Because that's what actually empowers us to live and change. When we accept by faith and we say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself up for me. See, in Christ you have been spiritually resurrected. But there's even better news. Because you belong to him, you will also one day, as Kendall said during the worship service, you'll be resurrected to live with him forever. Looking at our closing verses here, Paul comes and he gets to that conclusion that I've been trying to, to look at, and then he adds a little more. He said, that I may know him by the power and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that I might be any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You are not a finished work. You need to remember that you belong to Jesus. You need to believe that. If you want to walk and live the good life, you've got to remember that you still belong to him. Even when you mess it up. Even when you fail. And even when you experience the sufferings of this world, you belong to Jesus. See, Paul sees that this, al- this power allows him to face suffering. Like if I was given like the power to resurrect the dead, like that kind of thing, right? Like the natural, I would use that to avoid any suffering, right? Like any suffering in my life, I would just be like, whoop, not dealing with that. But that's not God's way, is it? See, when Paul is captured by the power of the resurrection of Jesus, he sees that it empowers him to go to a prison cell for the sake of Jesus. If Paul just sits back and keeps his mouth shut, plays by the rules, he doesn't have to spend time in jail. He doesn't get persecuted. He doesn't struggle with the difficulty of suffering. But the power of the resurrection compels him. He can't help himself. He's got to preach that gospel. He's got to tell others about the good news of Jesus. He has to live a certain way. And it allows him, enables him to face suffering, even the likeness of his death, the death of Christ. Because yes, we are spiritually resurrected. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, or says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're new when you come to know Jesus. You're in him. You're different. That's the spiritual resurrection we've been talking about. But Paul sees that this life is not the end. And because it's not the end, he is able to walk in suffering for Christ, even in the death of Jesus, so that by any means possible, any means necessary, he might obtain the resurrection from the dead. That is incredible. 
Because he knows that there will also be a physical resurrection. This is not the end for the Christian. Back to Philippians in verse 20. Talking about those people who have their minds set on earthly things, like I read before as I read 18 and 19. Paul then says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. Right? We're not focused on earthly things. We're focused on heavenly things. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That is incredible. Paul is saying that he is waiting for something better that is coming, the resurrection from the dead. In verse 12, we see that not, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Here's the reality. You're not yet finished. If you look at the resurrection power and you walk away and you think, man, my life is just always going to be fine and dandy and the moment difficulty strikes, I must be doing something wrong, you're not listening, you're not getting the passage. He's saying there's still trouble, there's still difficulty that's going to happen in life. There's no way to make it through this place without suffering. But he's saying, are you going to suffer for a purpose? Are you going to suffer for something that matters? He's saying, I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And then in verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Will you be able to continue to press on in this life? Suffering is unavoidable. It's unavoidable. Christian, non-Christian, life is hard. This place is broken and filled with tragedy. But Jesus brings purpose to our suffering. He empowers us to walk in suffering. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says it like this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. There is some common grace reality in that passage. You can make it to verse 3 and 4 without Jesus. Suffering in life, difficulty in life, will bring endurance and character. We hear that even in in sayings like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's not a Christian saying. Even the world knows that. Even the world can see that if you get through some adversity, you come out on it a little stronger, a little more character, a little more strength. But what the world doesn't have is the end of verse 4 and verse 5. A character that produces hope. That's what only Jesus can give you. You're going to deal with suffering with or without him. But only Jesus can give hope. Hope of a new life. Hope that this place is not the end. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I, I worked a job for almost five years that I'll just be honest, I did not enjoy. I, I was not... I didn't have a very good attitude most of the time. I was loading trucks in the middle of the night. I was working for eight fifty an hour. Eight fifty an hour, and this is like 2016. You gotta be kidding me. 
So I became the guy who would stay late. I just moved to Columbus. We were helping plant a new church. I was doing this so I could get through seminary. And uh, I had to stay late because I had bills to pay and I had stuff to do. And they were paying me eight fifty an hour. I, don't, I think minimum wage is more than that now, but I'm not sure. But anyway, that's what I was making, and I, and I needed to, to make this happen. So I volunteered to stay late every time, which made me the guy who would clean up what they called blown-up trailers. That was just like the vernacular use. Here's what that meant. Somebody made a mistake somewhere. And packages just kept going into a truck, but no one was loading them. And there was packages now everywhere. You couldn't even get into these things sometimes. You would have to, like, dig your way into the truck. There would be packages that weren't supposed to be in that truck. So then you'd have to carry them back out of the truck. It was so super annoying. It was, like, the worst ever. And I went into that, and I had a terrible attitude about it. I hated doing it. But I needed the money, so I did it. And I would go in, and I just would complain. But you know what happened? Over time, my body got used to the night schedule. It got used to the hard labor. And I started to grow in some endurance. And I maybe even started to grow in some character and changed a little bit more over time. But I still complained a lot. My poor community group at Paramount Church, I, I'm sure I drove them nuts because I just, every time, I just, all I wanted to talk about was this job that I hated. And, and so the, that's all they heard about. I'm sure they were just driven crazy. Uh, my wife still laughs because I'll still sometimes complain about it. Like this was like four years ago now. And, and it was just a hard job and I just didn't like it. You know what changed that job for me? It's not very profound, but here's what happened. I get myself into a truck, and there's stuff just everywhere. And I don't know why, but I remember I just took a deep breath. I go, and I thought to myself, well, at least when I die, I won't go to hell. (laughs) And I started loading packages. I know that's not a very profound thing, but I swear that's what happened. I sat there, and I just looked at it all, and I thought, at least when I die, I won't go to hell. And I just started loading. And that night I started loading, I, thought, I started to realize that that's not true for the guy next to me doing the same task right now, loading trucks. He doesn't know Jesus. And this is his life. He's going to come in here. He's going to do all the same things that I'm doing. Suffering is inevitable. Nobody gets to escape it. But that guy, that's, this is it. Because what happens after this life, it gets worse for him. And I started to work a little harder because I knew if I could get my truck cleaned up, I could go help him. And that meant I got to go talk to him for a little bit. And I would tell those people about Jesus. And I just wanted them to know. And it changed a lot for me in those trucks. Because I started to realize this is not the end. And as it gave me hope to realize this isn't the end, and even if this is God's will for me, I didn't know. I had no promises that that job was ever going to change. I was there a lot longer than I thought I was going to be. But listen, God has you where he has you for a purpose and for a reason. And there's hope in that because this is not the end. I promise you, I know I've got night shifters in the room. I've got warehouse guys still in the room. God has you there for a reason. He has you there for a reason. I promise you he does. He is using it in your life and he's gonna work something into you like he did for me as I spent five years there. There's purpose in our suffering when we follow Jesus. Even when we get to a point we say, man, is this it? It's not. It's not it. And you get to live with a sense of urgency and a sense of truth. This is not the end, which means it's also not the end for that guy and that girl. I've got to go tell them. I've got to tell them the good news of Jesus. I've got to press on towards the upward call of Christ. Even when things are hard, I can press on and I can keep going because my lowly body is going to get resurrected. This is not the end for me. 
Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You belong to him. And that's wonderful and precious. He loves you if you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And he gives meaning and purpose to the hardness of life. You need hope. Is life hard? My life's hard. We're still not sleeping. I stopped working the night shift just to have children in. Doesn't change. You gotta have hope in this life. I've lost people, I've dealt with miscarriage and infertility. Uh, caring orphan care was, is hard. Uh, of caring for my kids who come from hard backgrounds. We've planted church. We've done these things. And I don't know. I don't know how people make it through life. I don't know without Jesus. I have no idea. If you don't know Jesus, today's the day. Tell him, my way is not working. I need some hope. And turn to Christ. Your problems won't go away. Jesus has not promised to make all the struggles of life go away. Some of them might get more difficult. Your family might think you're weird. You may be persecuted. But there's hope. There's peace that surpasses all understanding. So that's our last reflection question. Where is your hope? Because if you don't know Jesus, that's what I want to challenge you. I want to ask you that question. If you don't have him, where are you finding hope? Where are you going? Because I know this, life is hard. And you need him. You need forgiven of your sin. And only he can do that because only he died and rose from the grave. That's the good news of Jesus.